Kitchen Season 1 is over and we're getting ready for Season 2. Hello everybody, I'm Sarah Carradine and I'm here with the Dark Walk, Geneva Guadalupe. Geneva, how are you? I'm doing very well. I'm very excited uh, that Season 2 is here and I can't wait to binge watch the whole thing this weekend. Um, you know, I've been waiting for this for so long and, you know, we've, we've seen season one a couple times, a few times at this point, and we've finally gotten through, uh, recapping it once again. So I'm very happy to talk about season two with you all today. And Sasha Joseph is here too. Sasha, hello. Uh, hello. I can't believe we're here. I'm here with my mallet and my extra special outfits because, Season two is here. We have an Indian lead. I cannot believe it. And I know we're not, just so everyone knows, we're talking about the book today. Yeah. Uh, Sarah will talk more about it, but I'm just excited. I can't believe it's time. And how could the dark walk walk out in any way without Kirsten McInnes? Kirsten McInnes, how are you? I am doing great. I literally derailed this podcast by getting stuck behind a horse-drawn carriage. So I'm in the Bridgerton era mindset, and I am so excited to talk about the second book, The Viscount Who Loved Me, uh, to prepare us for season two. Uh, This is one of the best books in the whole series. It's going to be such a good season. I'm, I'm just so excited. Wonderful. Well, clip clop. Let's talk about (laughs) book two. So first of all, I just wanted to ask everybody, as you read it, what was your overall experience reading it? Now, Kirsten, for the hundredth time, me for the first time, Sasha, I don't know what time you were up to. First time and Geneva. (laughs) Geneva also for the first time. Uh, Let's just get a general survey I will just start with me briefly. I was delighted. I'm so glad that I was compelled to read this book. I was smiling the whole way and I was thinking, how can I keep up my reputation of being an aromantic, oh, that's not quite the word, (laughs) non-romantic cynic uh, when I'm sitting here with a huge grin on my face, just really being swept along would be how I would describe my response. What about you, Sasha? Same. I mean, like I, we were really dragging Anthony uh, before, right? And then I read this and I was like, got it. I see why y'all like him. I get it. Um, I just, I, I love reading. I finished this book in two days, technically. And the only reason it went to the second day is because it was 4 a.m. The, the first night. So I, I needed to just put it away. <laughs> but uh, it was it it's so much fun. So different from the first book. And I just I appreciate the characters feel grown up. And I know Kate is literally older than Daphne. But um, in a lot of ways, like they're not as naive. And I'm, I'm into it. Fantastic. And Kirsten, what's it like for you to come back to it uh, after this time? So this was my third time, I think, reading this book. And I'm a huge, like, romance novel rereader. Like, it does not take away from the enjoyment at all to read something I've already read before, especially when it's something so, like light and delicious and just so cute and I I just love that um you know the first Bridgerton novel kind of goes into the trope of fake dating which like a lot of people love fake dating tropes me among that number but this one just relies so much on 
like sisterhood and that makes it extra special oh absolutely and Geneva for you what was what were your your feelings as you read the book what was the what was the emotion that came up yeah um I think a lot of the time I was kind of like oh of course you all hate each other that's clearly a lie you know or, or things like that or uh, you know uh, with interactions between uh, Kate and Anthony and um actually I think I really uh appreciated Colin in this book. I just found him funny. He kept trying to stir up a lot of drama, make his brother mad. Um, but, you know, I think with this, I was really kind of glad to get the chance to, um, you know, explore the other siblings a bit more because obviously, you know, the first book is a bit more focused on Daphne, but we don't see as much of her. You know, she does make an, you know, uh, appearance. Um, but I think what I really did kind of getting to like was, understanding Anthony a bit more. Um, you know, I think I complained a lot about Anthony um, with, you know, the last, uh, the last book, the last season. Um, but I think, you know, even getting a sense of, you know, how much like he really appreciated his father um, and understanding that sort of relationship and that dynamic and how um, that loss really affected him and, and also has a huge impact on what happens later in this book. Um, you know, I kind of really enjoyed you know, diving deeper when it came to um, understanding his story and understanding now kind of him stepping into the forefront, um, you know, realizing, well, okay, now it's time I kind of have to do my duty and get married. Yeah, I mean, you've gone there. So let's let's talk about characters. I mean, I am an outlier in the dark walk. I liked Anthony in the uh, season one. Uh, I was alone in that. Uh, I found him more unlikable in this book but oh. but but enjoyably so enjoyably so I enjoyed not liking him <laughs> um, and the other thing that happened of course is every time I read Lady Whistledown I heard Julie Andrews so that was kind of that was really nice but let's talk about the characters as we've started to to touch on them there Geneva the other siblings in particular it's very interesting they are and and, and Kirsten you've been telling us this but the other siblings are different there's a there's a difference to them Colin in particular I think uh is much more three-dimensional and lively in the book um but uh, what were we thinking about these characters yes I think you hit the nail on the head about Anthony in this book like I like him as like a like a dark romantic like hero figure but what we get to know of his personality he's is he's kind of a lovable curmudgeon in this yeah book, and that's mm -hmm. like that's exactly right. That's that's the energy that I want. I like in probably from the brothers, Colin is like the more quote unquote likable one that you yeah. would think, oh, Colin is the one that you want to end up with or you want like your friend to end up with. <laughs> but Anthony's probably the one you actually end up with. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's I really liked um, Anthony, even though. I was like, oh, you're really bothering me. But here I am still thirsting for you. So I, I really understand Kate. Because uh, I was like, oh, no, we, we shouldn't like this man. He's a mess. But I loved it. I really I appreciated his whole, um, just his whole arc, this, this book. Because we really get years of his life. Yeah, and I mean, an understanding of him too. He's not mean or awful. He just has a feeling about himself. Uh, uh, spoilers from now on for the book 
Uh, we don't know what happens in the filming of season two. None of us have watched it. But uh, as far as the book goes, spoiler, spoiler, spoilers. So we find that he has this idea that uh, he's going to die at 38. And so he doesn't want to form an attachment to his wife. He needs to produce an heir for the for the Bridgerton name, but he doesn't want to form an attachment. And so we understand that. And the other thing that's really delightful, because we know we're reading a romance novel, is he is determined not to fall in love. He's going to logic his way through it. And we sit back and go, oh, you foolish man, just you wait till the right person comes along. What do you think about that, Geneva? Yeah, no, I I, th I think that's always like when I'm reading these books, like even though I love them so much, I just laugh because I'm like, okay, you're saying this, but in reality, like it's it's not what you're claiming or what you're you're saying, because you know, like there are certain points where he like started to have dreams, um, you know, about Kate or started to have like potential feelings, and like he's just like, well, no, like I I can't or like this doesn't make sense. Um, and it's like, no, it, it does make sense. You know, don't fight it. Um, so I think some of those things are always quite funny to me, but also I quite enjoy them because I kind of like to see that, you know, slow progressive development in a different, you know, relationships, especially, um, you know, between Kate and Anthony, um, particularly in this book. But also I think, you know, with him, we, you know, kind of start to, you know, see kind of how he you know, I think even though, you know, there, I guess there's a lot of perceptions of how Kate feels about him, you know, based on what's been said and about him being a rake, you know, that sort of thing, you know, I think in some other instances, he tries to kind of prove otherwise with, you know, how he treats Kate's sister, you know, Edwina. So, um, and like, so I think, you know, Kate tends to be also surprised in some of those instances when he see when she sees like what he's like doing or how he's taking that you know decently seriously yeah let's talk about Kate I mean she is I haven't read a lot of romances but I have read some she's unusual as a wonderful heroine because she herself is not seeking love so I was immediately caught by this idea of the heroine of a romance novel not looking for love she's quite old she's one and 20 so <laughs> <laughs> she's she's on the shelf uh and her entire focus as far as the beginning of the book is to have her sister her younger sister edwina uh find a good match and uh have a good have a good life and and she almost she's not made up to the spinster life but she doesn't fear it in the way she fears it for her sister interestingly kirsten how did kate strike you yeah, so Kate is very much um, a little bit of a tragic figure to start. You find out she lost her mother um, quite young and that her stepmother has taken has taken up for her, right? So it kind of lends this entire view of Kate's life that she has never really gotten what she hoped for. And I think at this point has kind of given up on that. She even gave up having her season because she knew the family could only afford one. So she waited until Edwina was old enough um, to also come out so that they could both have that experience together. She just is like her personality. She's a firecracker. She is so smart. She is incredible, but at her core, she is so loyal to her sister. So loving with her family and has just like, she's just so willing to give that she's the kind of person that you want them to have love. Even when it's like, 
is she not looking for love or does she think that she's just not going to ever find it because she's never had the things that everyone else has had right and so it kind of you root for her so much the whole time and she's seen right she sees herself and i think consciously and subconsciously her uh her her step uh, her half sister and stepmom also see her right as this second um of two so i think that there's a lot of internalized which comes up a lot even when you know she falls in love and gets married even then there's a lot of second fiddle feeling that she feels just because of this internalized you know um like pity i don't know if that's the right word but internalized just not feeling so good about herself and uh that's why i like her because i think i like romance novels where we where the the protagonist uh especially the female one isn't necessarily just like i want love and that's it it's very i like the no i'm here i have a purpose men just happen to be like the secondary uh so i appreciated it i i really like kate i also want to say with kate we have to talk about newton the corgi is that you say corgi corgi i don't know corgi yeah you're right Corgi, great uh who just like is such a menace and the cutest thing in the world and i don't even like dogs um i like them from a distance i should say but uh it's just kate so you wouldn't like like it if you got knocked into the pond in the park by the dog you wouldn't like that i would fight newton (laughs) (laughs) Mary's relationship with Newton yeah like Newton would very much be an ankle biter right like for me where I'd be like get out of here weirdo but have I seen many compilations of you know back that ass up to corgi butt yes I have so I, I love dogs from a distance. Corgis are so cute too. One of the best videos I've ever seen on the internet is called the Corgi Flop. And it's a little corgi in a life jacket jumping into a lake. And he just like runs up, stops, and just like leaps with all of his limbs out and just lands in the water in his life jacket. It's the cutest thing in the world. So or, Newton. <laughs> yes. Or look out uh, corgis and sweaters on Instagram. Mm. Just look at, just look it up. It'll make your life better. It's delightful. San Francisco has a corgi con, and it's like a whole oh, really? like where you just like bring your corgi and go Wait, to the beach. That's okay. Oh my, my sister loves corgis so much. She doesn't even like dogs, but like if she sees a corgi, she will start to cry. And if I took her to corgi <gasps> con, she would die. Yeah, it's I just done. love their butts. Like, I there's can't a, lie. <laughs> there's a corgi that lives in my building. It's just a puppy. <gasps> so it's like only a couple Ooh. months old still now. And the first time I saw it, I had just been walking with my sister. I go to get in my house. I called my sister and I was like, I just met a baby corgi only like eight weeks old. And she literally turned and ran back to my building to like <gasps> find this woman with her corgi to meet it. And she did. Oh my god. And I was like, you're gonna get me like served a restraining order, Viana. You sound insane. But she was like, I met him. You're so cute. (laughs) People who have puppies love you to love their puppies almost more than uh, uh, people who have children want you to. Mm. I mean, uh, Newton loves Mary. He's not a menace. He loves her. No, but he's a menace. He like he <laughs> has been reasons for many yeah. frustrations for it's our like, characters. It's the thing where, like, if some if you like someone, behavior is cute. But if you don't like them, it is like 
sketchy it's, like, it's the why? same thing it's like okay newton has become a menace not because yeah. he is menacing but because no it's unwanted exactly right. and he's but knocking people over like but newton. he's so he he's so animated in the book as well it's not like he's an ornament we're talking about characters and i think newton has to be listed amongst them because the way she writes him you feel the dog, you feel the size, you feel it when he flops down on a chair or when he rolls over to have his belly rubbed. And uh, as well as that, he serves um, great purpose in the plot as well. So I think the introduction of Newton, also the idea that Kate does have love, she has the love of her dog. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Mary, Mary is interesting. Mary is the mother of Edwina and the stepmother of Kate. And I love that we get all the way stitched through the book Mary's vow to Kate's father, her vow to Kate, and her vow to Kate's mother. There's a very moving scene uh, in flashback or she tells how she went to the grave of Kate's mother and vowed to love her as if she were her own. Um, What do we think about Mary Geneva? What was your response to her? Yeah, well, I think, you know, kind of how we touched on with um, how Kate, I guess, really isn't putting love in the forefront for herself. Like, I think we're starting to notice that Mary's kind of pushing it a bit. Um, But even so, I think, you know, there was one point in the book where um, it was mentioned by Mary that, like, you know, even though Kate isn't like her, you know, biological daughter, you know, because of the relationship she has as a a stepmom she you know has to put in you know twice as much love and effort in order to you know make sure that she you know is you know afloat and is you know successful in her life or happy and fulfilled um so i i think that we kind of see this sort of um you know endearing relationship between um you know kate and between mary and with mary um basically she it was interesting too because there was a conversation where she's refer she refers to her as mary and even um kate was like yeah i don't know why i still call her mary but i just do um but you know we've she's had this so close relationship with with me um and so i think we kind of see that sort to you know form throughout the book but she also seems to advocate and support her although you know, I think sometimes she was doing certain things, I think, with Kate, where it was like suspect. She's like, oh, no, I shouldn't stay to chat with Anthony. Well, oh, Anthony, why don't you go on a walk? Um, go go along on a walk with Kate. Um, walk the dog. You know, I would I would bore him, that sort of thing. Um, so I think there are a lot of uh, interesting, I think, conversations and interactions that we see from Kate in the book. Yeah, and what? Uh, so sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I was just going to say. Uh, uh, I was just going to ask other thoughts on Mary. I'm, I'm very fond of of Mary, and I'm really intrigued to see how they're going to treat her in season two. But, but what about you? Yeah, I think it's it's so hard to tell, you know, how this will be adapted to a show because much like you know, book one to season one, there was a lot. Like they didn't really take much out of season one but they inserted a lot more into it that is going to feed into it so um in book one we never had to deal with lord featherington's death so how is that going to be combined into book two who's going to be that heir like how it's not going to be um also with mary like 
will we get to see Mary as kind of like a sympathetic mother figure the way we see Violet? Or are they going mm -hmm. to try and make her out to be, you know, a little bit less pleasant because kind of like the evil stepmother trope is so, it's so appealing to have it right there, right? So I'm a little nervous that they maybe would lean a little bit more into that. Maybe even just, it seems like it's bad. And then at the end they realize that it's not, but I don't know. What do you think, Sasha? Yeah, I just, I just really hope they don't lean into that in the book, right? Because I think it can get really messy because I loved Mary. Uh, she, I mean, she's the one that tells Kate, right? Like, it's a huge turning point in the book where, one, she actually, well, better than Violet, at least, tells <laughs> Kate about the wedding night. That's number one, even as a stepmom. And then secondly, she's the reason Kate understands why she has bad dreams um or specifically with thunder and lightning so she has been pivotal for kate in many ways but i think those two really stood out for me so if they do her dirty it's on site because mary is very much like she's so kind and she's There's really no reason to built kate up and i want to say low-key even though they don't talk about it in the book a lot i feel like mary was low-key pushing kate and anthony together oh yeah Oh, definitely. Well, she sent she sent them on that walk, right? Because mm -hmm. that's the thing too with the family is like they're not super well off. So obviously, it would be a boon if one of the daughters married rich. But you never really get the sense that Mary is pushing Edwina to make a match that she doesn't want to make. Like mm -hmm. she she's just being like, "Well, we'll put you in for like Edwina's like the diamond of the season, right? Right. So she is getting, you know, put in front of all of these wealthy titled gentlemen. And Kate sees it as, okay, Edwina will marry well, and I will not marry and I will be her companion. But Mary kind of has the view of as long as one of them marries well, it's fine. And I want them both to be happy. And you can kind of see like the sparks between Kate and Anthony are more, uh, dislike to yeah. start like <laughs> and this is definitely like an enemies to lovers uh trope instead mm -hmm. of the fake dating uh but the spark is there and mary sees it and i think is definitely on board with pushing them towards each other absolutely i mean and the thing about mary too i mean i don't i haven't read book one i will i promise but honestly the, the... i would skip her. okay i'll skip it. um <laughs> The Bridgerton, the Lord and Lady, the late Lord Bridgerton and, and Violet uh, are said to have had this wonderful uh, love uh, match, and um, and that's lauded and looked up at and and held as a as a paragon of of a love marriage. We feel very much with Mary that she also had a love marriage. I wonder. There's a very curious moment at the end of season one, uh, and I don't think I brought it up in the episode where we talked about it, where. Uh, Lady Whistledown refers to, briefly, a couple who, in uh, having met, uh, fled London never to be heard or seen again. And it's very intriguing to me now when I was reading the book and I thought, oh, is it this couple? I don't know. The idea of the love marriage uh, is very present with Mary as well. And I think certainly... As an older woman, looking at her two daughters and this man, Anthony, it's, like, it's pretty obvious if they are going to match with uh, with one, it, it's going to be Kate. So I really enjoyed Mary um, and I hope that we get, 
uh, in season two. It's got a vigorous portrayal of her as I felt her to be um, as a as a woman. Um, the comparative thing between the sisters is really interesting. I don't have a sister, but I really enjoyed that theme being opened up as Kate doesn't feel jealous of Edwina. Kate is perfectly happy to acknowledge that Edwina is more beautiful and she's petite and she's likeable and everybody likes her. Kate's not worried about that, but what she doesn't like is receiving a compliment that she herself is beautiful. She sees that as a slight to her. So while there's no jealousy, there is a feeling where she happily puts Edwina ahead of her but is perhaps cut if another person tries to make her feel good about it it's a it's an odd thing I'm not describing it very well yeah so I think um it's very interesting because um I'm not sure Geneva do you have a sister I feel like I'm the only one here who has a sister I, I do have a sister yeah okay perfect I was like I was like wait I don't know um but yeah so I have a sister and um we like I think that we very much look related when you see the two of us together but we're also super different I'm tall and she's short I have blonde hair she has dark hair I have blue eyes she has brown eyes like we we don't look quite the same like it was always like the joke growing oh uh Kirsten's dad is obviously the milkman ha 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 which is like not true because I, I look like my dad's mom but uh it it is very interesting to have that dynamic between two sisters who are different but not like that different but even like yesterday when my sister and I had our spa day like one of the ladies was like oh which one of you is older I can't tell and my sister was like well that's kind of mean to you Kirsten like but she couldn't tell oh my god I was like I mean you look like it's fine you look yeah it's it's fine uh but like that's like the same kind of thing right where like my sister's like not she's not upset to get a compliment but then she's like wait but is that mean to my sister (laughs) Uh, I think that that's kind of that's kind of the vibe right where you kind of get slotted into like this is your role in the family this is your role in the family and then when anything is counter to that it can be very unsettling. Um, like I, I spent up until I was like 18 being like, no, Kirsten's the nerd. Kirsten's the smart one. Kirsten's like a loser. And then when I went to university, people thought I was dumb. And I was like, what? And then people will be like, oh, yeah, like curse, like, uh, like they value based on appearance rather than anything else. And I'm like, wait, what? I'm not the I'm not the pretty one. What are you talking about? And it, it, it's just like a weird vibe. Like it's not any knock to someone being nice to me. It's just like in my head, it's still like, oh yeah, fine as the pretty one. I'm the smart one. And that's just how it is. <laughs> yeah. It seems like I think because she's aware of where um, you know, how Edwina is perceived and how she's supposed to be perceived, I think she just kind of has this thought in her head, well, okay, she's the focus, she's the priority. She, you know, she's the diamond of the season. She is, she is the beautiful one, whatever, whatever. Not necessarily thinking she's not, but I think because the focus is on her and kind of how we talked about how she, you know, allowed, you know, basically allowed her to be the focus and the priority, I think because of that and wanting what's best for her sister, that is just kind of her, like what she's laser focused on. And so I guess when it, when there's any sort of reference to her, potential love life whatever her potential um future or what that could be with somebody that's just something that she's not focused on in her head so it just I think it just comes off strange and weird and like foreign even though in reality it's like no I think that's something you know it's like 
realistically, yeah, you 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 also theoretically could be finding, you know, a husband in the situation. It's not just, you know, but I think because we know how much she cares for her sister and how much she places priority in her sister finding a good match. And she knows that based off of what she's heard and from what she knows about Anthony, it, it, it's not even Anthony. And then even overhearing Anthony talk about, you know, you know, having still having messages while he's potentially married and that not being, you know, an issue not thinking he's going to fall in love with somebody, um, you know, even if he's married to them, you know, hearing things like that, that's kind of like, well, then this clearly this guy would be awful for my sister. So like, why would I want that? So I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's complex because I don't know if she necessarily, I mean, I think in some ways it could seem like, oh, maybe she doesn't necessarily have this, you know, maybe confidence in herself but i i feel like also part of it's just more i think she in this situation has a she feels like she has a certain role and responsibility and i think even lady whistledown kind of thinks it's funny like oh why is it that anthony has to seek the approval of the sister you know that's not i think normally what you know we would see so i think that's also a very you know interesting dynamic within this this book yeah, it's very fun to see people kind of courting in a, a weird way where they, they have to court the sister if they want to get the diamond, uh, which is, you know, atypical and I think very fun. Yeah, yeah that's lots of fun. Yeah, Sorry, I will say um, also I think because, listen, our heroes are always flawed. Uh, I think it's an ego thing, too, that she is very much proud and she know, she's had to fend for herself. So I think that's also a piece of it. And her and Anthony are very similar in a lot of ways, especially this way, where they are very prideful people. And that obviously gets in the way of a lot. But, you know, that's the that's the plot points. Uh, and that's why we get a whole book out of it. We love yeah. Yeah, I mean, the fa the father's dead, so she is not quite in loco parentis, but I, I do love that idea that to get the diamond you have to court the sister and she's very aware of uh, all the gentlemen approaching her. I'm really looking forward to seeing this sister dynamic uh, play out in the season. I think the other aspect of the book that I wouldn't mind discussing before we go on to talk about what we think we're going to see in the televised version of um, of this book is the eroticism in the book. I thought it was so well written in terms of that. I mean, slightly laughable from time to time, but <laughs> it it seemed I mean, magically real. I was going to say real, but let's say magically real because the clothes fall off with no problem and people orgasm the very first time they have sex and all of that. But leaving that aside, what do we think about the writing of the eroticism and its place in the book? It's much less than at least uh, the first book uh, or the, sorry, not the book, the first show. I've not, I've not mm -hmm. read the book. Um, and I like it because... Listen, Kirsten had already told us there's a lot of nipple play. So we I knew to expect that. But I also I here's the thing I will say a little knock to Anthony, whereas the Duke, what we've saw in the season one was very he felt more kind versus I think Anthony was very much rake with the capital R uh, towards uh, Kate. So I, again, I don't know if that's how the Duke actually was too, but you know, he's, he's a little rough with her sometimes. I'm not against it. I think 
Kate is a like a grown up, quote unquote. So like she can handle it. But I was like, is it Dwina gonna have to deal with this? I surely hope not. <laughs> yeah, I think it's yeah, I think it's one of those things too that a lot of times in romance novels, especially historical romance novels, um, they will like the the roughness of the male lead is like a feature not mm-hmm. like a flaw um but i i do definitely see that point the other thing too is in um the duke and i the first book in the series sex was a massive plot point because daphne didn't know how babies were made she didn't know about the duke like not quote being able to have babies she didn't know what any of that meant so a big part of the book is they get married and they are having all of this sex and having an amazing time like there's probably not a description of them like sitting on a ladder in the library getting head or anything like (laughs) that but like the, the sex is happening and there is a lot of it whereas in this book it's not it's not about that. It's about both of them facing their own demons from their past. Kate with her fear of thunderstorms and Anthony with his fear of, you know, dying young and bees, really. Like, those are the two things that they need to resolve on their own based on their past trauma. So the sex is like a side part of it where like obviously they get married so they are going to have sex and they have fallen in love so they're going to have sex. But it's not like the main plot of the second half of the book like it is in um, The Duke and I. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a good point. I think she, she Julia, the, the writer, uses the sex to, slightly for the titillation of it, but also <laughs> to kind of open up and explore the relationship between the two of them. And that surprised me. It wasn't just straight, look, I'm going to now describe this, this sex act. It was what is the relationship with these two people and how do they negotiate it, their, physical, um, their physical lives together. So even before the married penetrative sex we have some kissing and some some sparks that that are really beautifully described uh and Kate is she's a virgin but she's not a blushing virgin if you know what I mean she is written uh, older uh she's uh, 21 in the book I believe she's older in the in the television series which makes sense so in our eyes a more adult woman Mm -hmm. and I really liked the um agency that she had um, her physical agency and in fact part of the thing that I thought was really effective was when she asked for a week's grace they get married and she said um, can I have a week before, before we have sex and it's it's such a beautiful negotiation between the two of them where he he tries to find out why she wants to wait she says she wants to get ready and he quite rightly says um, uh, how how are you how are you getting how ready will you, how will you be preparing yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the best line. Because usually he's so gruff with her, but this time he's like, "No, but just like tell me, because you're you're tripping." Like that's literally yeah. what he meant. Because he's like, "You you've lost the plot at this point, ma'am." Yeah. Well, and the other thing to note as well with like the I guess quote spice level of these books, like this is the it's the second book. This book was released in 2000, first of all, and romance novels have really, I I feel like it was like 2005 to 2009 is where romance novels started going like, I feel like that's when Nora Roberts was like really in her heyday (laughs) of like, yeah, you're going to see someone like fingering someone on the back of a horse, like it's going to be all sex all the time. And so that's part of it as well. Regency romance has 
for the most part, been a place where people who enjoy romance novels without all of the gratuitous sex scenes go to get that. Like, my mom loved romance novels and read so much Regency, and she didn't read pretty much any modern romance because she was like, if I wanted porn, I would get porn. Like, that's not what this is for for me. And so that's also another, um, like, saving grace. Not saving grace, but, like, another reason why, um, for the most part, these seasons are going to be less, uh, quote-unquote, sexy uh, than season one. Yeah, Yeah, my friend actually asked me, because she knows we're doing this podcast, so she's like, you know, you read the book, because I was telling her how I read the book and prep for this podcast, and it's really funny, because she said, thank God, because I... uh, she's now moved home and I, I, my mom asked to watch with me and I was like, no, you're good. There's only a few sex scenes. Well, in the book, we, the show will know, probably yeah, exaggerate a little bit, but the reviews have started coming in that season two is less um, sexy and people are, I, I think a little upset about that because I, they got a false impression of what all of them would be like from season one. Yeah. No, this one is very, I think more quote unquote, normal romance it's not like not calm just yeah modern like it feels the more like how you would describe a romance movie instead of like 50 shades of gray that was (laughs) the last one um yeah yeah. but as kirsten said the the... sorry geneva go ahead so i just wanted to say like like because we kind of definitely touched on how there's going to be less of that and um, there have been actually a lot of articles that have been released prior to the season that have been disclosing specifically that the season would have less sex scenes than, uh, you know, the prior season. And, it, of course, I think Kirsten definitely touched on, you know, that it's not necessarily the main plot line. But even I feel like the showrunner um, has also mentioned that for them, it was never really about quantity and that they use the intimate scenes to kind of tell the story and push the story further and they've never done you know a sex scene for doing this sake of a sex scene um but even generally i think with this book we can tell it's a lot less than a lot of the uh, simon daphne interactions and i think they also kind of acknowledge that it's a different story with different characters so in reality we're not going to necessarily see what kind of happen but we you know we'll have that more that slow burn the you know the animosity the chemistry leading up to that and it just really wouldn't make sense according you know to the the show and people running the show to kind of show as much as they did with season one because the story isn't the same well everyone just keep that spice level simmering along where it is while we take a break and we're back for more spicy chat about <laughs> the book. Uh, and now perhaps I think it would be a good time to talk about what we expect from the season. We've certainly seen some images. We've read some reviews. We don't know what happens. We don't know any of the changes. But what are you expecting to see and what are you hoping to see? Sasha, well, how about we start with you? I'm excited. Oh, my God. There's so much. Okay. I'm really excited to see, I think, the interactions between uh, Anthony and Kate, especially, obviously. And is it Palmo? Yeah. Wow. Cannot believe I got it. I'm so excited for Paul Mall. Yeah, because when I was reading it, I was like, is it Paul Mall? Okay. Like, Paul Blart Mall Cop. Like, that's how I was reading it. (laughs) And then (laughs) then I... I, um, 
because I'm a stan, I watched the red carpet premiere on YouTube and then I'm watching and they're like, Palma. And I was like, who? What is that? And then they, um, and that's how they answered questions were hitting the, um, the ball through the, through the target. And then they like picked, oh, you, number six now you can ask a question so it was cute um so i'm yeah i'm very excited for that as a very competitive human being that piece like really stuck to me because that's how i am when i play with my family and they all concede to me so i can't imagine if i had siblings and you know it actually had to be competitive (laughs) it's yeah with the palm i'm so excited for that i love how in the uh, flyer for the season you know Kate has got that black yes. ball and Anthony has the pink ball next to him and just thinking like oh they really hid the purple one from him like this is so, it's just it's so funny and it gives you like those genuine family moments with the Bridgertons that make you see that they're like a special family that you know as Violet says in season one we actually like each other and they do and so I'm really looking forward to all of that coming out um especially with uh you know Violet hosting the the house party which will I think be a a, at least a few episodes of the the show Uh, I'm just so excited and uh, interested in how they're going to handle um, how much of the book is really internal monologue with Anthony, um, you know, being concerned about dying young and um, Kate kind of like going through her fear of, of thunderstorm. You can at least see her fear physically, but uh, I just think it's going to be interesting how they frame fear as like a central uh, plot point of the show. What about you, Sarah? Well, I'm, you know, I'm such a looks person. I, I, I don't mean necessarily good looks, bad looks, but just looks. <laughs> the look, the design is what I'm trying to say. The design of season one was so satisfying. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. I have seen some images of the Queen's wigs that are wigging me out, so I can't wait to see her again. It's a strange feeling of, oh, I get to visit with these friends again. Um, The Queen, Lady Danbury, uh, um, Violet, the older women I'm enjoying. I want to to meet Mary. Uh, I'm wondering how far they're going to stray from the book. In terms of the cast of particularly the secondary and tertiary characters that we that were set up in season one I imagine they're going to pick up and take those through this uh, second season as well why why waste you know the good work of the writers and actors and costumers from from season one and because not a lot of those people are present in the book. It's going to be very interesting to see an integration. And this is what I thought very much about season one when reflecting it and the fact that we watched it again and talked about it again was really illuminating how the secondary and tertiary characters' plots wove in beautifully with the main plot. So it was either parallel plots of, of, of love or it was oppositional plots of not love. Um, there was, you know, uh, joyful, knowledgeable sex. There was joyful, non-knowledgeable sex. Uh, and, yeah. you know, <laughs> lucky we didn't see a lot of non-joyful sex because none of us want to see that. Um, but uh, ideas of ambition, ideas of position, who has it, who doesn't have it. And so I think that the the 
writing throughout season one where the tertiary and secondary characters plots were woven in I'm really hoping that they hit that again with season two because from the book really it's Kate and Anthony yes there are these these other characters that we've mentioned but it's so much just the two of them and Newton um, that I'm hoping they can continue um Benedict, who we're all very fond of. Eloise, what's going to happen to her? Penelope, what's the Featherington story of the new heir coming? How is that going to change things? But it can't just be that is happening at the same time as Kate and Anthony. What I want to see is how does it reflect the main plot? How does it illuminate the main plot? Is it parallel? Is it op oppositional? So that's what I'm looking forward to seeing. And the frocks. Of course. <laughs> yes, I think those would be really great. I think for me too, I am just looking forward to seeing, I, of course, I think the Palm Wall. I think that's clearly going to be a really, you know, I think huge scene, you know, scene when we come across it in the, in the season. Um, but also I think just specifically the stuff that they add in and the characters that they add in, um, because we know that that happened a lot in season one. I don't know if necessarily we're going to see a lot more of that adding additional plot lines to engage with different characters, or if we're going to see kind of more of a focus on this book and not necessarily adding a variety of additional elements. So I'm intrigued to see kind of what that balance might be. Um, I'm also intrigued to just kind of see um, just a lot of the um, general relationships and maybe how, how far they go or how, maybe accurate those portrayals will be um, and how certain characters are, you know, presented in the book. Is it going to translate similarly to on screen when we see it on Netflix? Um, and just, I think, you know, generally just kind of seeing when it comes to also the Bridgerton family and their particular stories, um, are they going to add a lot of other elements from the future books, you know, in this season or are we going to be still kind of just focusing primarily on what we see here? So I think I'm just kind of interested to see like, what will they pull from, you know, other books or what will we, will they be doing a lot more creativity this season in terms of who they incorporate and who they bring in, what plot lines they bring in. Um, but of course, I think I'm just generally excited just to see um, it all on screen and kind of just see a lot of these conversations come to life. Yeah, I think um, also something we need to talk about is I feel like the bees, we talked a little bit about it uh, the first time when because it kept they kept zooming in on it, like on the mm -hmm. CGI bee. But this time, that is the reason why Anthony is so fearful and feels like he's going to die because their dad, the OG Viscount Edmund, mm -hmm. actually died via bee sting, which I still... Anthony's just as surprised as you and I are. Uh, so I appreciate that. It's not this like silly thing that we aren't supposed to be surprised by. I appreciate that it was very much, no, let's all talk through this. And then we, this is when I started softening on Anthony because he sees his dad die. He was in the room with him for, you know, the whole night with the body rather. And, and then we get this moment of this 18 year old kid that has to now take over for the whole family when his mom is pregnant still you know with the last kid so like that's how young right quote unquote this family is and um to me that is what really 
also humanizes Anthony than it did the last book because I was like, well, yeah, you actually had a loving family and then it was ripped apart. Mm -hmm. So I understand what you mean and why you feel this way. Um, And that's why he just can't imagine outliving his father because his father is so magnanimous to him. And I don't know. I, I really appreciated that piece as well. Yes. And then there is also one other thing with the beasting as well. Yes. In the at the end of the book, uh Julia Quinn has her author's note at the end of, of book two. And basically it's like, yes, um, Anthony's father had been stung once before, but that is accurate. Typically, beasting allergies don't manifest until the second sting. So there's no way to actually know if Anthony is also allergic to bees and like maybe he would die young due to this. However, I'm the author of the book and he lives to be 92 like he's not gonna die of a beast and he's gonna have a long life um so I really liked that she clarified that because I feel like otherwise like the could the online because like romance novel sales jumped a ton over the last two years but all of that market share went to Julia Quinn yeah Um, like it's actually kind of like honestly please read read these books but also please read something else as well um yeah Helen Wong has really great books too um they're all Asian leads uh and they're on um and they're like different on the spectrum in different ways so the characters so it's really I still only read the first one of yeah oh yeah Mm. uh what is the kiss quotient Yeah. yeah kiss quotient and then Bride yeah. Test, and then The Heart Principle. I just finished The Heart Principle. Uh, okay, anyway, so would recommend. There are others. Uh, and a lot of Indian ones, too. Uh, anyway, I also want to say, uh, with the B, too, because, again, it just keeps coming up for me. The funniest scene, I have to say, right, is, again, a bee sting. Because Anthony, I think this is the moment where Anthony was like, oh, damn, I do like her. Because Kate <laughs> is, like, stung by a bee. I Like, to this day... I, Maybe I should have gone back and read, but I'm like, did she actually get stung or did this yes. man just get so paranoid? Like <laughs> so she did. She, she gets stung like on her collarbone, okay, you know, cool. of course, close to the breast area so that Julia mm, Quinn Julia can Quinn. explore her pink of yes. nipple play. And that's what everyone supposedly um, saw. At least that's what they, they claim they saw. So. Yeah. So basically he sees the sting and he goes into a panic because last time someone in his life got stung, they died. And while, you know, he may not fully recognize yet that he is in love with Kate, he doesn't want her to die in front of him. So he's like, well, the only thing to do is to suck the venom out like a <laughs> rattlesnake bite. I don't <laughs> It was the 1800s, okay? They didn't know so much about science. It's We'll give him a pass. But, you know, he gets really caught up in it, and her dress comes open, and so it looks like it's more of an amorous embrace. And they are walked in on by um, Mary as well as... Lady Featherington. Yes, Lady Lady Featherington. Yes, a big issue. I was like, wait, who's drama. the gossip? I was like, I know it's someone super gossipy. Yeah, yes. And yes, Lady yeah, Featherington. Yeah, Portia, Violet, and Mary. Uh, mm-hmm. Which, Violet? I feel like was so chill about it. That's how you know. She she then she she went on a dark walk a few times with Edmund because she's just kind of like, what the heck are y'all doing? Okay, like you know you. But do, also, you I do. guess after what happened with her, you know, her last daughter, it's like they just have scandal in this family at this point. So it's like, okay, what what is it? Bunch, case, what like, what, what are you doing, Anthony? What's going on? But then, of course. <laughs> I mean, I would be concerned if literally my father died from a you know a bee sting, and I see someone right. that you know I potentially care for potentially could die, and because you, you don't know how it's going to impact her, 
So, but of course that led to everyone being like, uh, you got to marry her. Well, and that's, it's also a super common trope in Regency romance that a country like party results in, in some, some hasty marriages upon return to the city. Oh, yeah. Yes. yeah. And that's what I mean we get many jokes about that too and even uh Whistledown is very into it but I and also we don't have to talk too much about Penelope um but I just I appreciate her being so kind to Kate. I think it's because Kate is so kind to her uh and Anthony's very kind to her uh when Miss Fivehead uh, Cressida yeah is I I forgot her name not me forgetting her first name anyway when she's being so evil Kate and Anthony are pretty kind to Penelope so those moments are where you're like oh my god like this is a beautiful moment and they're actually impacting their community because of it and it was just I don't know I it was so nice to hear but then Anthony just like the Duke can't talk you know, can't speak freely about his fears. And it's just the biggest issue is that, is that he's afraid to fall in love because he's going to die early. And that's why he said, I'll marry you because, you know, you're suitable. You challenge me. You're funny. But, like, you're not pretty enough for me to love. That's so messed up. <laughs> These men. Literally, right? why men? Um, yes. The drama. The drama. Um, I feel like we've kind of talked in broad strokes. Is there anything else that we need to bring up before we we pack it in? No, I think the last thing was that we need to because I don't know if they'll bring it up in the show is that there is an opera singer that he could have or he did have an affair with that he kept for a little bit. And then that's how him and Kate's first kiss happened is because he says he spots Kate in his study with Miss Opera Singer. Oh, Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's why, Kristen, I was like, maybe they took that and made it into a full on story. I'm assuming. Yeah, that has to be it. Mm -hmm. And it it has never occurred to me, even though I've read the book multiple times. Yeah. (laughs) I do love Kate like hiding under the desk, right? Yes. So Kate was hiding (laughs) the whole time because she didn't want to be seen by anyone. And turns out Mr. Rake obviously is going to rake all over the world into his office. So he's about to hook up with said opera singer and then sees her. He's furious. He's very, so mad. Very mad. Oh, that's I like, think what, what I'm looking for. What was Kate gonna do? Sit and watch mad. him bang an opera singer? Like, yeah, that would like, also ruin her reputation. That yeah. that definitely would too. And then she's like, "Oh, I was trying to avoid seeing you." And he's like, "But you came into my office." And she's like, "Well, I didn't know it was your office." And he's like, "Yeah, sure." Um, so of course, these I think men be- in these books just think that all of the women are just like geniuses who are and psychics who know everything about them and are like plotting yes. their downfall. When it's like she's never been there before, how does she know it's your office? Like, shut up, Anthony. And it's you, you do that, Anthony. That's why, baby, you're placing blame. But I just I wanted to bring the opera singer piece up because I was like, oh, they took her. I think her name is Maria or something. She's Italian, and they made her into Sienna. So I was like, oh, that's where we got it. Yeah. Um, uh, mm-hmm. And and yeah, the first kiss of them comes from that. So hilarious scene all around. But so that's why I really enjoyed the book. I think there are many twists and turns between these two. And when you're like, oh, it's going to be a normal thing. Bam, something else happens. I feel like and it changes into so funny. something funnier or spicier. I feel like it's either or. So I, I can't wait. After this podcast, I will now be watching episode one. So I'm excited 
Do y'all have anything else? Nope. Just no, I think we've covered it. Tonight. Perfect. Yeah, so that is, y'all, your little book synopsis. We obviously didn't cover everything in the books because we wanted to keep it light. But still, hopefully y'all get a little bit spice of the book now that we're going into watching the episodes. And we will be back next week with um, season two, episode one. But in the meantime, we have our own feed, y'all. Make sure you're subscribing to it and leaving us five-star reviews on our next podcast. We'll actually read all of them. So we have three currently. So let's let's try to get to seven by next one. You know, so here's here's our call. Uh, let's get to seven five-star reviews by next episode. Hell yeah. And yeah. And thank you so much for listening, everyone. Oh, not that. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And Geneva, with that, where can people find you? People can find me at Peace Love Jen on Twitter, where I tweet about all the reality TV that I'm watching and random things in life. And then I just recently, uh, this week, did a podcast with uh, Sarah, and I also got Asia and Haley Strong involved, and we talked about the courtship, the first two episodes of that. Um, so feel free to check that out. You know, we kind of did that in anticipation also for season two of Bridgerton. Um, and yeah, you can just find me in po- here with the Dark Walk and just around silent podcasts, etc. So yeah, just stay tuned. Oh, thank you. And as for you, Kirsten, where can people find you, Miss Busy B? Yeah. So there, if you, the, the good news is, is if you want to hear more from me, there is no shortage of that. Uh, you can hear from me every week talking BoJack Horseman with Lindsay Wilson over on BoJack Horsepod, uh, as well as every week talking Riverdale with Frail Mary Kwiatkowski over on Kowski Cast. That's cow with a K. Uh, obviously this and. Uh, I am on some of the Big Brother Canada coverage over on REJP, and at the time that this comes out, I'll have been on the most recent um, Sunday morning live feed update, so definitely check out all of that, and go check out Sarah over on Crime Scene, which is the uh, True Crime Tuesday podcast over on REJP, uh, as well as follow her at Sarah Carradine. Oh, and follow me at Kirsten said what? Yeah, on all, especially Twitch. Uh, Follow you, Sasha. Tell the people. Yes. And as for me, you can find me on Twitter at funsize underscore 04. And I will, I'm sure, be around over on Silent Podcast. And look out in April for a new podcast on the wrap up feed. Wink, wink. And with that, make sure you leave us that five star review. Share with your friends. They can get to know us and get excited about season two. Thanks, everyone.